following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to open it this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and several people have spoken from 1 Corinthians already this morning. I love what Pastor Ribu shared at the table <clears throat> concerning our participation in this life, and it really is the Father's heart that we would rise up and eat, that we would rise up and participate in this life. You know, when the, the Jewish people had their Passover, uh, for you know, thousands of years they have had that Passover meal, of course, and Jesus was having that Passover meal. It was only a shadow and a type of what Christ was going to do. But even those Jewish people knew that when they participated in a Passover, they weren't just remembering, they were participating in the reality that they are the people of God. That's what they believed. And so it wasn't just a remembrance of something that happened. It was a participation in the miraculous, in the life, that there is a people called by God, by His name. And that's who we are in Christ. So we're going to read this morning. And uh, this morning I want to speak really about the two ways of seeing and beholding this life through natural eyes, that is from an earthly perspective, which we have been doing for decades, and to see life from heaven's perspective, what the Bible calls by the Spirit. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit, as He has been doing now over some time, to lift our vision so that we may see ourselves as God sees us. And what I'm going to show you this morning is that what we see when we see as God sees our lives is that we see that we have an entirely new life. Where's Robert Walker? Robert bought a new car and he brought me out this morning to show me this new car and I love the smell of a new car, do you? There's nothing like it. Brand new, brand new, wonderful. Do you know the life you have in Christ is brand new? It's brand new and I want to Show us that in the Scripture this morning. So 1 Corinthians 1, from verse 26, it says this, For consider your calling, brethren, there were not many of you wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Can you say amen to that? <clears throat> and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the best things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man, or your Bible may say no flesh, may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts... Boast in the Lord. Praise God. You know, in that passage, Paul repeats again and again about how God used the foolish things and the things that are not. And he repeats it several times. And then he says, so that. And I want you to see this morning what so that is. Verse 29. So that no flesh may boast before God. Now that word sometimes is translated in your Bible, man. But it's actually the Greek word sarx. S-A-R-X, sarx. And so that means the natural man, the man living apart from God, the condition, the fallen condition of man. So what that's saying is that God would not have it 
that anybody would glory in being separated from Him. I'll say that again. God is not pleased if anybody glorifies in being separated from Him. To God, that grieves Him, you know? And that's why Jesus came, that we would not live separated from Him. So God will not bless lifting up as good their separated from Him condition. He doesn't see that as good. And He's now made a way through Christ whereby anyone who believes can freely live with Him, then why should He, if He has done that, why should He now bless man's attempt to live apart from Him, even His attempt to live a godly life apart from Him? Why should God bless religion when He has provided relationship? Why should God bless religion when He has provided relationship? So we don't need religious self-effort to cover over our sins because Christ has put away our sins forever. Anybody say amen to that? Hebrews 10 tells us that because of Christ's one sacrifice forever, there is now no more sacrifice for sin. And so as we're speaking of how God sees us this morning, He sees that we don't need the fig leaves of religion to cover over our sin. Mike talked about us being naked. Because in Christ we have been joined to the very tree of life. And His life is now our life. And do you know that Christ's life is a perfect life? It's a sinless life. Because He is now our root, our very life, then we don't need a righteousness of our own. We have His. We don't need a sanctification of our own. We have His. We don't need to redeem ourselves in His eyes through good behavior. Because He has redeemed us once and for all by one sacrifice forever. And we don't even need wisdom of our own. For we have His. We just read it. Look at it again. Verse 30. By His doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what you just read there is that religion, which is boasting in your behavior, has been abolished because it's no longer necessary. Isn't that wonderful? No amount of sacrifices you make for God is going to change his mind about you. No because he's already made up his mind about you before you were born. That's what the cross declares to the world. The truth is out there for all the world to see. Jesus Christ dying for you is God's mind made up about you. In his eyes, you are worth his son. Did you see the cross? Did you see him on the cross for you? Do you see your old separate from him life on the cross? How does a Christian live who thinks that God is still in the process of making up his mind about them. They live as if Christianity is a religion, a religion they can use to get God to change his mind about them. And the only problem about thinking that your good behavior will change God's mind about you is that history and the gospel both declare that God died for you and I before we had a chance to do one good thing for him. Your behavior doesn't make God good, and your behavior doesn't keep God good. He just is good, and Jesus Christ is how good he is. That's worth saying again. Your behavior didn't make God good, so your behavior can't keep God good. God just is good, and Jesus Christ is just how good he is. 
And that's why people need Jesus. They need to see just who God is. Because when you see how good he is, then you'll understand and receive what he's done, and you'll be free from your separated from him life. Can you see what God sees? Religion, self-effort to become godly has been abolished. Now, this is very important. It has not been upgraded. <laughs> it's been abolished. Sometimes on our phones these days, we can get an upgrade. You can keep an old phone and have a different operating system working. In the, no, no, it's been abolished. Religion has been abolished. God's new way, union with him, abolishes the old way. And I want to show you this morning that God does not want us to continue in an old way of thinking once the new way has come. Let me make this statement. Jesus died so that we should not have to live anymore as people separated from God by our sin, but rather live now as people united to God by his Son. You're not separated from God by your sin, believer. You're united to God by his Son. Once that truth has been given to us, it's God's will that we allow that truth, truth to change our minds. And that's what's happening in your life and my life. Change our minds about who we now are, that we may now live as the people we now are, that we may stop trying to impress God with our holiness because we have humbly submitted to the gift of his. It takes humility to do that, doesn't it? It takes getting to the pig pen. It takes getting to the end of self-righteousness. It takes getting to the end of your church life to start the beginning of Christ's life. It takes a recognition that no amount of good works or good deeds on your behalf can make you like God because God is not an I. Praise God. And so he makes us like himself by the gift of his life as we shared this morning. Once that truth has been given to us, it is God's will that we allow that truth to change our minds about who we now are. Christianity is not a religion because a religion is about your doing and Christianity is about his doing. And we read that this morning too. Look at verse 30 again. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Who's doing? Turn to the person beside you and say, his doing. His doing. See, for years we all lived in our doing, my doing. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I go to this church and I go to that. What, what do you do? Where do you go? <laughs> no, 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 no. We are in Christ Jesus by his doing. And that acceptance that Christ is now our righteousness, he's now our sanctification, sets us free from trying to sanctify ourselves. Sets us free from self-effort. Sets us free from religion. And how this nation needs to be set free from religion, from boasting and from division. Now, although we're instantly a new creation by receiving Christ, it takes some time for our thinking to change. We understand that. From thinking of ourselves as separated from God to thinking of ourselves as in union with God, hidden with God in Christ. And that process of our thinking changing, that's called the renewal of the mind. That's what discipleship is actually all about. And time and time again, the Holy Spirit exhorts the church to set your mind on things above that's the work of growing. Praise God. I can't grow if I don't eat. <laughs> Sometimes I grow too much in the wrong directions. But it's true, I can't grow at all unless I eat. So you and I as believers, we can't grow into the mind of Christ unless we eat this beautiful gospel. Unless you receive the words that God is saying over you, that were sang this morning when Nicholas sang that, those words. That's beautiful, you know, because you said this is what God's saying over you. Now that should be our first language. That should be our first language. 
that we're actually speaking from that place of knowing God's thoughts because you have the mind of Christ that you may think the thoughts of God, that you may speak the very words of God. But this nation is waiting for the word of God spoken through the mouth of people with authority. The overflow of the heart because your heart is full of what God is saying to you. Praise God. And that's why we have this work of discipleship. That's why we, we have this whole process of renewing the mind. That's why we're doing the, the, the course on a Wednesday night. That's why we preach this message on a Sunday. That's why we have the home groups. The whole message again, again, again. The renewing of the mind is a process. That's why I love this uh, Unveiling Jesus course. It's 20 sessions. Good. 20 sessions saying the same thing. 20 different ways. Give it, give it on, bring it on, tell me again. Let me eat and drink this news because it is so good. I need the Holy Spirit to help me to believe because what I believe, I will be. Religion is behavior modification. You need to do that and do that and do that and stop that and stop that. But you're not changed because what you've believed hasn't changed. Because you haven't believed that you're a new creation. You just think you're the same old, you trying your best. You will always be what you have believed. So believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in he, what he has done and be who he sees you to be. Praise God. And so that's why we're growing up. We're growing up from seeing ourselves after the flesh to seeing ourselves as God sees us. And that change of mind, that change of belief, that change of the way we think because of what Jesus has done, the Bible calls that, it's got a name for that, it calls that a metanoia. It's a Greek word. It means and it's translated, rather, in our Bibles as the word repent. Although, to be honest, over the years, we have got this sort of idea that when we mention the word repent, it's actually about what we need to do for God. God gifts repentance to men through the good news of who he is and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. For you cannot come to God unless the Holy Spirit draws you. No man can change unless God changes him, or else religion works. Self-effort. So God gifts us this metanoia. We will think differently, and so we will live differently. You can't live differently unless you think differently. The order is very important. That's what Pastor Ruby said this morning at the table, and what Robert shared as well during the time of sharing. You will do who you are. Don't try and change your doing if you haven't changed your being. <laughs> and changing your being is God's work. Praise God. He changes us by this beautiful message. If you try and live the Christ life, if you try and be a Christian without allowing your thinking to change from self-life to Christ life, from separation to union, then the thoughts and desires of your heart will remain selfish, of self rather than of God. And that's who we are. We are now of God. Too many Christians are religious because their minds have not been renewed to the glorious truth of their present union with God through Christ. So they're still trying to behave their way into the presence of God because they still see themselves as an I. I. You know what Paul said? It is no longer I. Come on now, that's a good confession. It is no longer I. Can you say that? Turn to your neighbor and say, it is no longer I. <laughs> it's the gospel. Beautiful. Paul famously said that. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So even as we say that, some of us are thinking, ah, yeah, but Phelan, you know, my experience of that has been very mixed. And I have to say that as well. My experience of that has been very mixed, you know. So is mine. And I want to point out today that the mixed experience comes from mixed thinking. I'll say that again. Mixed experience comes from mixed thinking. We can't live as an I 
as self alone, at the same time, try and live as joined to God. That would be to live as a double-minded man. Do you remember what the Bible says happens to a double-minded man? That's right, James 1 and 8. Such a man should expect to receive nothing from God. Now, that's not because God doesn't or hasn't given him anything, but because no man can receive except by faith. And I can't mix faith in God with faith in me. Two things don't mix, praise God. A little leaven leavens the whole batch. You can't live from a selfish mind if you will not receive... You can't live free from a selfish mind if you will not receive Christ's mind. Christ's mind rids you of a selfish mind because by his mind you will see that you are of him. You are born of him. John 1 tells us that no man is born of his own will or the decision of a man. He's born of God by the Spirit of God. And to see that means that we grow up into who we really are. So we need to believe that. Either you will believe Christ's sacrifice was a once and for all sacrifice forever for all your sins, or you believe that his sacrifice was not enough and you have to add your good life to Christ's in order to be accepted by God. In other words, either you live married to God or you live as a single person. You can't live as married and single at the same time. Nicola would not really be best pleased with me if I tried to live as a married man and a single man at the same time. It would be absolutely devastating and quite grieving. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is... Good that you're learning these scriptures. One, 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 one spirit. What God has joined together... And let no preacher put us under either. Praise God. So the simple message I wanted to get across today is that if we don't allow God's spirit to convince us, if we don't allow... God's Spirit to convince us that we now are joined in spirit to God, that we now have the mind of Christ, that we're now able to think the thoughts of God, able to see as God sees, and so speak as God speaks. We will live double-minded. We will live as mixed up as a married man who thinks he's single. Romans 7, 4, do you remember this? tells us that we died to the law, that we may be married to another, and that we may bear fruit unto God not so that we'd be married to two at the same time. How should a husband feel about his bride living as if she's not married to him? I mean, is he not entitled to be grieved at that? That's no minor thing. That's a fundamental thing. He is entitled to be grieved. And so too, having loved us so deeply and paid such a great price to be married to us, is the Spirit of God not entitled to be grieved? by believers living as if their sin, sin still separates them from God. Living as if Christ's blood is no better than the blood of bulls and goats. Living as if some days their sins are forgiven and some days they're not. And so living as if some days they're married to God, sharing in his righteousness, and some days they're separated from God and have to go back to their old husband of the law, back to religious thinking and religious behavior, the life of a natural man with no spiritual discernment. God's new way of union with him abolishes the old way of living separated from him. And God does not want us to continue in an old way of thinking. It's grieving to his spirit. Jesus died so that we would no longer have to live as people separated from God by our sin, but that we could live now, today, as people united with God by his Son. Praise God. God no more approves of mixing those two lives than Nicola would approve of me living one day as if married to her and the next as if single. Can you say amen to that? 
Amen. Good. Praise God. God's word declares that every believer is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all. Everybody say, all. All things have become new. What a beautiful word. So the Holy Spirit is entitled to say, is he not? What part of new do you not understand? What part of all do you not understand? Now, let me give you an example. How would you feel if you paid, like Robert there, for a brand new car and later discovered it wasn't new at all? It's full of second-hand parts. How would you feel, Robert? Come on, be honest. How would you feel? <laughs> he'd, see, he'd feel disgusted. Do you think he's got the right to be disgusted? Why? Because he paid for a new car. God paid for a new life. He paid for an entirely new life. The biggest cost ever for you and I to live an entirely new life. Is he not entitled to be disgusted? If we refuse the new life, praise God. So please don't be surprised if he insists that the Christian life is not simply the old flesh trying to do better. Please don't be upset if he insists that the gospel, the good news, is that in Christ you died and you, knew, you now have an entirely, an entirely new life. A life now joined with Christ and God. And this new life is not a mixture of the old and the new. There was nothing good about our old separated from God life. There's nothing good about all that fear and condemnation and guilt and hidden sin. Nothing good about it at all. God doesn't think it was good enough to be recycled. He killed it off. He died it away. You know, I, I once, this, once went to sell a car. And you remember this car I bought, Nicola? It was a Toyota Corolla. And uh, I was a boy racer at those stage, you know, newly married, but still trying to live as a single man, you know. So I had this spoiler in the back and these trims. It was a lovely car, wasn't it? Do you remember when I went to sell that car, the guy would give me hardly anything for it. And I got the biggest shock of my life. Do you know what he told me? He told me it was actually two cars. It was the front of one car welded onto the back of another car. I, I couldn't believe it. And they had a name for that sort of car. You know what he told me? He told me it's a death trap. That's what I've been driving. A death trap. I couldn't believe it. Now listen to this. What a shame if we get to heaven one day proud that we managed to keep our religious appearance so well in front of church and friends, only to have the Lord gently break the news to us that from heaven's perspective, we were living double-minded. We had tried to weld together grace and works to make one life, and it hadn't carried along, us along at all into the life that God had always had for us. We never got to be carried along by it because we were conformed to this world's thinking. We thought as the world thought. We thought of ourselves as separated from God. All our Christian lives. Listen to Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Praise God. So the will of God for your life and mine is good, acceptable, and perfect. And that's why the new life, the new life, the brand new life he gives us in Christ is after his will. It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. That's who you are. I'll tell you that you may believe and that my soul may believe. That's who we are in Christ. Good, acceptable, perfect. 
because we are of him, not of any man or of any flesh. You are an entirely new creation. And this is why you need the Holy Spirit, and I need the Holy Spirit. For who can believe such things when you look in the mirror on a Sunday morning? But that you have the Holy Spirit that you may believe. This is why we have the Holy Spirit, that we may believe, my God, that we are who he says that we are. Let his mind be your mind. Let how he sees your new life be how you see your new life. Good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, I might say God, but God, I've been thinking of myself for years as not good, not acceptable, and not perfect enough for you. You see, that's our problem. I've been thinking of myself, of myself, of self. You will either think of self, or you will think of God. And I declare to you what the gospel says. You have the mind of Christ that you may now think of God. You may now think of God. Yes, no brownie points for beating yourself up. Or as Michael Carlin used to say, God didn't save us from drowning so that we could beat ourselves up on the shore. No brownie points for self-condemnation. Sorry, no brownie points for false humility. No brownie points for beating yourself up. You will delight God by simply humbly accepting the perfect life he has given to you and grow up into that life. For this nation is waiting to see the manifestation of the sons of God. People who believe that they really are sons of God, not just good-behaving believers. I have been given God's spirit that I may now think of God, think from his perspective, and he sees me as born of him, that I may now begin to think of him, that he think his good and acceptable and perfect thoughts, thoughts that Greg was thinking, out, thinking out there in the, in the, in the surf, in Kaldaf, good and acceptable and perfect thoughts bubbling up from deep within. Now you can say to me, you're talking about an entirely new way of thinking. No, God's word is talking about an entirely new way of thinking. Be transformed by the renewing, the clues in the word, new, renewing of your mind. Notice it doesn't say, be transformed by singing more choruses, by attending more church meetings, be transformed by prayer and fasting, be transformed by giving up your bad habits. Why not? Because it's possible to do all those things and not be renewed in your mind to how God now sees you. And you know that as well as I do because we can probably have been doing it for years. He sees us as good, acceptable, and perfect in Christ. Jesus died so that we should no longer have to live as people still separated from God by our sin, but that we could live before this world as people joined to God by his Son. The whole of creation is waiting for us to live that life. I'm excited we are living that life. Praise God. Now I'm saying all that this morning because what God says of our new life, he says the old things have passed away and all things have become new. And when he means new, he doesn't mean a mixture of old and new. Let me give you an example. Imagine you had a car and this car was so unreliable that it was ruining your life. You kept missing every appointment you tried to make. You weren't getting anywhere. Time and time again, it let you down. Now, it looked okay from the outside, but it always died again and again and again. And you may ask, well, why didn't you just get rid of the thing? Well, you see, it was given to me by my parents, and I felt so attached to it. It's part of my identity. I'm so proud of it. I came to Robert King about a month ago, remember Robert, and I said, my son Chris, uh, he needs a new car because the car he's driving, the gearbox has given up. It's 20 years old. My mum had the car, a lovely Toyota Starlet, great cars, you know. But now, 20 years old, the gearbox had gone. Christopher was driving around in second gear, and I said, Chris, the car's done. And I asked Robert, and Robert found a wonderful car. Praise God. 
And it was much better than the car Chris had, but Chris now has got attached to the car. You know, he, he loves the car. And so in fact, what he did was he went onto eBay and he bought a new gearbox for the car and he had a new gearbox put in the car. Now, that's not a very good example of what I'm saying, actually, because the mechanic actually said he did the right thing. <laughs> he doesn't know the gospel, you know. Anyway, praise God. It was actually quite a good chassis in the old car, you know, and it'd go for a while, yeah. But I want you to imagine something else, okay? I want you to imagine that I bought a brand new car for Chris, okay? Brand new car, the best on the market. And yet, having received this car, I learned that he keeps missing his appointments. It seems to have made no difference at all. He keeps falling short. He keeps not hitting the mark. He keeps missing his appointments. His life hasn't moved on at all. And so I go around to his house to see, well, what's happening? What, what, what's wrong with the brand new car? And when I get there, I sort of see the brand new car. At least it looks from the outside like the brand new car. But on closer inspection, I see that although it has the appearance of a brand new car, what he's actually done is he's taken all the bits off the new car, the panels and the lights, and, the, and, the, and he's actually nailed it onto the old car. He's actually put the, the new car on top of the old car. Even bits of the engine of the new car, he's stuck on the old car. He's joined the two together, thinking, in fact, they can hold on to the old while having the new, and the thing just won't work because he can't mix a new car with an old car. And I should say to Chris, you know, Chris, I give you that car, that new car, to abolish your old car. That was the point. I didn't give you this new life that you could mix it in with your... I give it that you could abolish your old life, your old car. The Christian life was not designed to be an add-on to your self-life. It is the abolition of your self-life. Let me read Romans 6 to you. What then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness. Newness. Newness of life. You want to delight God? Get rid of your religion. Walk in newness of life. Because he paid the biggest price on all eternity that you and I would walk in newness of life. The Christian life was not designed to be an add-on to your self-life. It is the abolition of your self-life. You know, I know this is a journey, and I know people are getting there. I'm getting there, Lord, by your grace. But I find very often that sometimes people will refuse to come into this if they want to hold on to some aspect of their old life, you know. It really comes down to identity. I find particularly if I've been offended or hurt by something that happened in my life, and I, sometimes I want to hold on to that because it's become part of who I am. You don't understand what they did to me. I'm the victim here. I never got a break. I did this and I did they never. I find that people who've been broken or hurt uh, sometimes, they're likely to hang on to that victim. And, and if you try and hang on to that and still want to go on, with, you'll find you'll really struggle because you have to let go of that. And that's why we preach this gospel. You must let go of what they did to you. You can no longer be defined by what they did or didn't do for you. That's not good enough. Because what Christ did for you far outweighs anything anybody has done or hasn't done for you. And it's only when you see that that you'll have the power to let go. We, we've talked about this example many times where our children were very small, sitting in a high chair, and they reach over and grab a knife and everybody goes, oh, oh, and you try and grab the knife off them. There's a screaming match, you know. And the only way you get that knife off them is to offer them something better. 
We offer you a perfect and acceptable life in God's sight that you may let go of your old life. Because the other way isn't working. You trying harder to do better. It's not working. Anybody say amen to that? Praise God. Hebrews 10.9 compares religious offerings for sin and Jesus' offerings of himself and clearly declares he takes away the first to establish the second. So as a minister of the gospel, I cannot allow the first to remain. I'll say that again. I cannot allow the first to remain. I must, as you must, minister as new covenant ministers, ministers of the new covenant, not the mixed covenant. I cannot speak to believers as if the blood of Jesus has done nothing and they're still separate from God by their sin. That's insulting to the Spirit of God. I must speak to those born of God as if they now are who God says them to be, as if they now are of God, good and acceptable and perfect, dead to sin and alive to God. I must speak to you and deal with you as people married to God, hidden with God in Christ. How can I tell you to set your mind on things above if I will not speak to you as ones living from above, even when your behavior does not match that. In fact, especially, as we heard at the table today, especially when your behavior does not match that. That's the day you need to hear it more than ever. That's why Jesus went straight to the prostitute, straight to the tax collector, straight to the worst of the worst, and said, this is who I say you are. And those who believed became who he declared them to be. Even if your behavior falls short of someone living from God, I still must declare to you, no, you're not. You are the very temple of the Holy Spirit. I must declare to you, your old separated from God life died in Christ, and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. I must ask you to set your mind on things above, on what, on what all above can see about you believer, that perfection has made his home at the core of your life in your spirit. So that in God's eyes, you are good and acceptable and perfect. So we must speak to believers as who they are in Christ. We must see each other after the spirit, not after the flesh, as people of the spirit, not as people of the flesh. If we are to walk in the spirit and speak after the spirit, we must allow our minds to be renewed to Christ's mind. And you know that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all have the same mind on you. Now, many Christians don't know that. They know that the Father says he remembers their sins no more, but they believe the Spirit does and keeps reminding them of their sins. Then they wonder why their Christian experience is so mixed between hope and condemnation, because mixed experience comes from mixed thinking, from mixing old with new. Father and Spirit don't have two different minds on you. They have the one mind, the mind of Christ. And God would have us to have that one mind that he sees us as he declares in Ephesians 1 and 4 to be holy and blameless before him in Christ. Now, when you start talking to believers like that, as if they are now holy and blameless in God's eyes, not everyone can take that. We know this. Not everyone can take that. Why not? Because so many of us who have been born from above, have not yet had our minds renewed to think from above. We still live as what Paul called mere men, natural men, and to the natural man, the thoughts of God towards him sounds foolish. And anyone who dares to speak such wisdom sounds foolish. Yet, as we are about to finish now in reading, 
Paul dared. He dared to speak this way. He dared to speak the wisdom of God among the perfect. And that's the title of this message and the declaration of God's Spirit to the church today. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, not the wisdom of men, not religion. We speak the wisdom of God, that He has taken the foolish things, and He has taken the things that are not, and lifted them up to Himself. Isn't that beautiful? Let's finish by reading that. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. It begins with that, with that very exhortation that Paul says about speaking these things the wisdom of God among the perfect. And that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm declaring who you are and speaking these things and trusting that God will enable each of us to understand and receive these things. This is 1 Corinthians 2, 6. And this little passage says everything we've been saying this morning. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are perfect. Your Bible may say mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depth of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, River City Church, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know the things freely. Freely. Not the things earned. The things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. You see, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord? that he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. River City Church, we have the mind of Christ. Even on your worst day, what you do does not define who you are. Oh, I'll say that again. Even on your worst day, what you do does not define who you are. God has declared who you are. His perfect mind given to you will enable you to think of yourself as he does, good, acceptable, and perfect in Christ, that you may be as you think, that you may be as your Father in heaven is. And by this, love is perfected in us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Praise God. That's 1 John 4:17. Let me close by saying this. I know I've been given this example before, but you know, from time to time, as adults, sometimes we go and visit a relative and we visit a family and we bump into somebody that we haven't seen for years. And you may have this experience where you bump into a friend and they haven't seen you since primary school. They have no way of relating to you in the first few minutes of that conversation except to relate to you as they first knew you as a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old. It can be a little bit awkward. But you know, as you begin to talk to them, they quickly realize that they're dealing with an entirely new creation. <laughs> You're not the person you were. You're not the person you were. But there's always an old aunt or uncle. 
who refuses to see you as anything but a 10-year-old. Ah, son, you remember that time you did that? And no matter what you say or do, all they can do is remind you of what you once did and what you once said. They just refuse to move on. And the Holy Spirit says to the church, Church, you are much, much more than what you once did or what you once said. You are a child of God. Behold, what manner of love is this that we may be called the children of God. And we are beholding to his glory. So, Father, we thank you this morning for the power of your word. Lord, we love telling ourselves these things. Father, we love that we don't come to church. We are the church, Lord. We love that when we have tea and coffee now, we don't stop using this language. We'll continue to use this language. We continue to regard each other after the spirit, not after the flesh. And we thank you, Lord, that starts deep within each of us by the power of your word. We thank you that your word has drilled into us today and that that spirit of life and truth is bubbling up within us through the well that is our soul and that our mind and our will and our emotions will come into line with who we are in you, that what will appear in our life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control the very fruit of the life we now have, your life. We declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord.